Chapter 11 of Letters on an Elk Hunt. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lynn Carroll. Letters on an Elk Hunt by Eleanor Pruitt Stewart. Chapter 11 Buddy and Baby Girl. In Camp, October 16th. 1914. Dear Mrs. Coney, the day we left the game wardens was damp and lowering. It didn't seem it could have one good thing to its credit, but there were several things to be thankful for. One of them was that you were safe at home in your warm, dry apartment. We had hardly passed the great block buttes when the biggest, wettest flakes of snow began to pelt into our faces. I really like a storm, and the kiddies would have enjoyed the snow, but we had to keep the wagon sheet tied down to keep the bedding dry, and the kiddies get sick under cover. All the pleasure I might have had was taken away by the fact that we were making a forced drive. We had to go. The game warden had no more than enough food for his family and no horse feed, also, the snow was almost as deep there as it had been higher up, so the horses could not graze. We made it to Cora that day. Here, at last, was plenty of hay and grain. We restocked our mess boxes and felt better toward the world. Next day, we came on here to New Fork, where we are resting our teams before we start across the desert which begins just across the creek we are camped on. We have added two to our party. I know you will be interested to know how it happened, and I can picture the astonishment of our neighbors when we reach home, for our newcomers are to be members of Mrs. O'Shaughnessy's family. We had all been sorry we could not visit Elizabeth or Daniel and his mother. We felt almost as if we were sneaking past them, but we consoled ourselves with promises to see the Burneys and Grandma Mortimer. Yesterday, the children and I were riding with Mrs. O'Shaughnessy in the buckboard. We were trotting merrily along the lane that leads to New Fork, thankful in our hearts to be out of the snow. For there is no snow here. Just ahead of us, two little boys were riding along on their ponies, there was a wire fence on both sides of the lane, and almost at the end of the lane an old cow had her head between the wires and was nibbling the tall dead grass. The larger of the two boys said, That's old Pendry's cow, and she shan't eat a blade of grass off Dad's meadow. He rode up to the cow and began beating her with his quirt. That frightened the cow, and as she jerked her head up, the top wire caught her across the top of her neck. She jerked and lunged to free herself and was cruelly cut by the barbs on the wire. Then he began beating his pony. The small boy said, You're a coward and a fool, Billy Poke. The cow wasn't hurting nothing, and you're just trying to show off beating that pony, said the other boy. Shut up, you beggar, or I'll beat you, and I'll take them breeches you got on off you, and you can go without any. They're mine. My ma give them to you. 
the little fellow's face was scarlet as much of it as we could see for the freckles and his eyes were blazing as he replied you ain't man enough i dare you to strike me or to touch my clothes both boys were riding bareback the small boy slid off his pony's back the other rode up to him and raised his quirt but the little one seized him by the leg and in a jiffy they were in the road fighting like cats i asked mrs o'shaughnessy to drive on but she said if you are in a hurry you can try walking i'm going to referee this scrap it looked for a minute as if the small boy would get a severe beating but by some trick he hurled the other headlong into the green slimy water that edged the road then seizing the quirt and the opportunity at the same time he belabored billy without mercy as that individual climbed up the slippery embankment blubbering and whipped still sobbing he climbed upon his patient pony which stood waiting and galloped off down the lane the other pony followed and the little conqueror was left afoot mrs o'shaughnessy was beaming with delight sure twas a fine fight a sight worth coming all this way to see ah but you're the by tis a dollar i'd be givin ye only me purse is in me stockin oh the boy said quickly don't let that stop you i'll look off another way i don't know if she would have given him the money for just then some men came into the lane with some cattle and we had to start the boy got up on the back end of the buckboard and we drove on we could hear our wagons rumbling along and knew they would soon catch up where's your home by asked mrs o'shaughnessy oh just wherever aunt hetty has work he said she is at mr tom's now so i'm there too me and baby girl where are your folks mrs o'shaughnessy went on ma's dead and pa's gone to alasky i don't know where my brothers are baby girl and me are with aunt het and that's all there are of us he grinned cheerfully in spite of the fact that one eye was fast closing and he bore numerous bumps and scratches on his face and head just then one of the men with the cattle galloped up and shouted hello it was mr burney where'd you get that kid i guess i'll have to get the sheriff after you for kidnapping bud and what have you been doing to him anyway mrs o'shaughnessy entered delightedly into a recital of the mix-up and it turned out that mr tom and mr burney were one it was like meeting an old friend he seemed as pleased as we and insisted on our going up to his ranch he said the missus would feel slighted if we passed her by so we turned into another lane and presently drew up before the ranch house the missus came dancing out to meet us and right welcome she made us feel mr burney went back to bring the rest but they were already setting up the tents and had supper almost ready however we stayed and had supper with the burneys they are powerfully happy and talked eagerly of themselves and their prospects it's just grand to have a home of your own and someone to do for i just love to mend for tommy 
but I always hated to mend before, said the missus. You bet, Mr. Burney answered. It is sure fine to know there's somebody at home with a pretty pink dress on, waiting for a fella when he comes in from a long day in the saddle. And so they kept up their thoughtless chatter, but every word was as a stab to poor Aunt Hetty. She had baby girl on her lap and was giving the children their supper, but I noticed that she ate nothing. It was easy to see that she was not strong. Baby girl is four years old and is the fattest little thing. She has very dark blue eyes with long black lashes and the shortest, most turned-up little nose. She is so plump and rosy that even the faded old blue denim dress could not hide her loveliness. Mrs. O'Shaughnessy could not keep her eyes off the children. What is the little girl's name? she asked. Caroline, Agnes, Lucia, Lavina, Ida, Eunice, was the astonishing reply. Mrs. O'Shaughnessy gasped. My goodness, she exclaimed. Is that all? Oh, no, Aunt Hetty went on placidly. You see, her mother couldn't call her all the names, so she just used the first letters. They spell Callie, so that is what she called her. But I don't like the name. I call her Baby Girl. I asked her how she ever came to name her that way, and she said, my sister wanted a girl, but there were six boys before this little one came. Each time she hoped it would be a girl and accordingly selected a name for a girl. So there were six names saved up, and as there wasn't much else to give her, my sister gave them all to the baby. After supper, the Burnies rode down to camp with us. We had the same camping ground that we had when we came up. The cabin across the creek where we met Grandma Mortimer is silent and deserted. The young couple have moved away with their baby. Mrs. O'Shaughnessy kept talking about the fight, and Mr. Burney gave us the history of the children. Their mother, he began, has been dead about 18 months. She really died with a broken heart. Baby girl was only a few weeks old when the father went to Alaska and I guess he's dead. He was to have been back in three years, and no one has ever heard a word from him. His name was Bolton. He was a good fella, only he went bug house over the gold fields and just fretted till he got away, sold everything for a grub stake, left his wife and seven kids almost homeless, but they managed some way till the mother died. With her last breath, she asked that the two youngest be kept together. She knew the oldest ones would have to be separated. She never did give up looking for Bolton, and she wanted him to have the babies. Her sister Hetty has worked around here for years. Her and Rob Langley have been going to marry ever since I can remember, but always there has something cropped up. And now that Hetty has got to take care of the kids, I guess they won't never marry. She won't burden him with them. It is hard for her to support them, too. Work is scarce, and she can't get it lots of times because of the kids. The Bernies soon went home, and the rest of us went to bed. 
all except Mrs. O'Shaughnessy, who was so cranky and snappy that we left her by the fire. It seemed hours after when I awoke. She was still sitting by the fire. She was absently marking in the ashes with a stick. I happened to be the first one up next morning, and as I stirred up the fire, I saw Baby written in the ashes. We had breakfasted, and the men had gone their ways when Mrs. O'Shaughnessy said to me, It is a blessed old soul Mrs. Mortimer is. Do you mind any good lesson that she taught us in the cabin beyond? I did not remember. She said, The pangs of motherhood make us mothers not only of our own, but of every child that needs mothering, especially if our own little children need us no longer. Fill their little places with ones who do need us. Them's her very words, and it's sweet truth it is. Both my Katie and Sheridan have been grown and gone these many years, and my heart has ached for childer, and there's none but Corabel. I am going to get them childer this day. What do you think about it? I thought so well of it that in about two minutes we were harnessing the horses and were off to lay the plan before Hetty in record-breaking time. Poor Hetty. She wept quietly while the advantages of the scheme were being pointed out. She said, I love the children dearly, but I am not sure I can always feed and clothe them. That has worried me a lot. I am almost sure Bolton is dead. I'll miss the little things, but I am glad to know they are well provided for. You can take them. Now, said Mrs. O'Shaughnessy, you go on and marry your man if he is a decent sort. Do it right away before something else happens. It is an elegant wedding present I'll be sending you. You must come to see the children often. What's the boy's name? We never did name him. You see, we had kind of run out of boys' names. We just call him Buddy. I can find a name for him, said Mrs. O'Shaughnessy. Is there a Joseph in the family? Hetty said no. Well, then he is named Joseph Bolton O'Shaughnessy, and I'll have them both baptized as soon as we get to Green River. So in the morning, we start with two new members. Mrs. O'Shaughnessy is very happy. I am so glad myself that I can hardly express myself. We are all happy except Mr. Murray. He has at last given up hopes and gone. Mr. Haynes growls a little about having to travel along with a rolling nursery, but he is just bluffing. I am longing to see Junior. We have not heard one word since we left them, and I am so homesick for mother and my boy. And you, best of friends, when shall I see your beloved face? Tomorrow night we shall camp at Ten Trees, and we shall be one day nearer home. With much love, Eleanor Rupert Stewart. End of chapter 11